This is Brent from 10.4 Optics, and before we get into episode three with Jeff Weaver about legalization of the cannabis industry in Canada on the 10.4 podcast, I'd like you to check out 10.4 Optics, whether it's for data, voice, or fiber networks for your business, small business, any business, SFP modules, lifetime SFP modules, and now available at Newegg Business. So if you use new egg business for their incredible customer service and product knowledge now you can do that with 104 optics and if you don't and if you just take wild guesses well that's too bad for your network now you can up your game with new egg business and 104 optics so let's get started after legalization in canada jeff weaver He's going to tell us everything, all the things I didn't know, and I thought I knew quite a bit about legalization in Canada, but I know a lot more now, and you will soon. 10.4 Optics, now available on New Egg Business. Have a great day. Some of them are, you know, a bit more frustrating. I think, you know, with the dispensary model that's been running for a certain period of time now, I think you'd like to have seen a bit more of a seamless transition uh, when it comes to supply. Uh, unfortunately, the um, um, the licensed producers um, and their government or even private, if you're talking about Saskatchewan, uh, clients uh, cannot get product or enough product to service uh, their clientele right now. Now we knew that was going to be a bit of a problem. We didn't think it was going to be quite this bad. So 
Yeah, we, we have lots, lots to talk about. Yeah, right on. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for joining me again. Awesome. So uh, let's just start off. State of the industry. Yeah. What's the difference? It's yes. Legal. The only yeah. country in the world that's full legal. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, wow. Yeah. Like this is a significant time. Like this is yeah. historic. This isn't just no. you know something. No. This, this is first historic. Uh, industrialized country as much as Uruguay is you know uh, industrializing. Uh, we are the first industrialized country to be. Uh, Full legal and uh, much more, you know, permissive is maybe not the right word to use, but much more lenient um, than the Uruguay uh, model as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and you know, you've taken a whole bunch of different cultures. We are one nation, but you know, uh, uh, someone from British Columbia and someone from Alberta and someone from Quebec and someone from New Brunswick are all going to have completely or often uh, are going to have differing views on cannabis, um, and uh, and that's why you're seeing uh, uh, so many different models. Uh, for different provinces, because just like liquor, uh, the federal government allowed the provinces to decide how they wanted to run things. Um, some might say they should have provided a bit more guidance to see a bit more continuity. Uh, however, you know what? I bought something off the BC Cannabis website day one to try it out, see what the process was like. It was fast, it was seamless, the prices are decent. Uh, the quality was superb. I tried something from Broken Coast Cannabis, uh, who are a phenomenal uh, LP on uh, on Vancouver Island, and um, I was it was great. It was easy. Showed up in the mail in two seconds. So I really like the what the product looks like, and I think it's going to be really exciting. Uh, I'm 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 extraordinarily excited. So the difference when you ask what's the difference between now and prior to legalization. Well, for folks like me who were told that we were supposed to shut down so we could uh, get our dispensary license in the new legal regime and we followed the rules as they were set out, um, we, you know, and then, you know, in my position, I wanted to move locations uh, for the new legal regime, uh, but I had to let my landlord know so uh, they could get a new tenant in there. So I shut down October 17th. Someone else took the lease over November 1st. But as we're seeing now, because of the supply issues that they've run into that I probably could have kept running, um, that said, I was much more comfortable uh, telling our patients to plan ahead for a number of months, to stock up on edibles so that they're well served, they don't have to drive too far or maybe order it online. Um, And I thought that was the honest approach because we just didn't know. And I didn't want to put my staff in a situation where they could end up with a criminal record. I certainly didn't want to compromise our application for the new legal regime. Um, so I'm comfortable with the decision we made. Is it frustrating to see other people operating and still probably going to get licenses? Absolutely. But you know what? I, I also think that it was frustrating for the licensed producers to watch all these people open dispensaries uh, while they're following all the rules and the laws laid out by Health Canada. And they're saying, hey, why are these guys opening storefronts? Uh, that's not fair. Uh, and they couldn't do it because they would have lost their licenses with Health Canada. So now it's you know my turn or our turn to be a little frustrated. And uh, yet um, I think the future is bright. And I think uh, we've got a lot of incredible people uh, working for these licensed producers and the new group we're going to be working with. Very experienced, so I'm, uh, I'm very excited. I like your style. I love the way that you take things, like even in this industry, or even in this industry, but this new industry that's been shrouded by all of these preconceptions for so long. Yeah. That you take, you care about your employees, you care about the law you care about not stepping on too many toes or but doing things correctly 
That's like that's the difference. So that what you're doing really destroys the preconceptions, like I said, of what you do at the Rosalind Dispensary. It's I'm I'm imp I'm very impressed as yeah. a business owner. Like I am very impressed. Thank you. Yeah, right on. Good for you. Um, so what do people need to know? What, is the, yeah. what do civilians need to know versus yeah. uh, people yeah. that had medical cards before? Yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, first off, if you are uh, a customer, you can easily go on the, you know, and I don't want to send people to competition right now, but I want people to be well served. So the BC government has a great website. Uh, you can order directly from them. If you're over 19, you place your order and then they do the ID check when it shows up at Canada Post. You may be a bit frustrated by the Canada Post strike receiving your product, but uh, for Rossland, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a rotating strike, so there might be a small delay. The main issue right now is that their stock levels have been quite low. Those should start to replenish. In addition, for folks that are in our area, a number of dispensaries kept running in Nelson um, and they are still running today. Uh, so you can head to Nelson uh, and to some other jurisdictions um, and, and get your product. Whether those folks are going to have an easy time going through the application process is anybody's guess. There's not a whole lot that we know. Uh, I wish them all the best and, 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 and great luck and success because they're all, uh, you know, uh, um, mostly all good people and are, are, are have their, their clientele and their patients at the forefront of their concerns and, you know, um, they're also making a lot of money staying open, um, so uh, I don't think those two things have to be dichotomous. So um, that so there are um, uh, avenues to still find things, but in the local area in Rossland Trail Castlegar, uh, we are uh, we are all still waiting. So unfortunately, if you still have a connection in the black market that you still know their phone number, you may have to go back to them for a time period. But we certainly. You know why we want people to stock up and why we gave people great discounts in the last few days that we were operating was to make sure that people could uh, overstock what they typically use on a, on a regular basis so that they could plan ahead and buffer themselves between uh, uh, you know uh, the 17th and when we are able to open which I'm hoping will be uh, you know early to mid December I would really like to see us open prior to um, um, uh, prior to uh, Christmas, but you know what? If we had a license to open tomorrow, uh, would there even be any product to order and to sell? Maybe not. <laughs> That's what it looks like. So there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot we don't know. So so is there like so if you put it in an order, they ship what they ship. Do you get back? Is it back orders or is it like if someone says I'm filling yeah. my boots, like do they yeah. get as much as they want or is it like, is it? Yeah, there's open? a maximum. There's like, a I maximum. can go buy all the beer I want. Yeah, exactly. There's a maximum order, I believe of 30 grams at a time. Uh, you'd have to double check that on the BC cannabis site. Um, but that is a maximum, I believe purchase, uh, that's going to be part of the regulations going forward anyway. Uh, then, uh, if something's not on the website, I, it either says out of stock or um, is uh, um, just taken off the website. There's just not a lot of uh, options. So people even, the, the really, the thing that people are struggling with quite a bit is people that are in the medical market that already have medical cards that want to order from their licensed producer. Um, because those licensed producers are eagerly trying to serve the recreational market, their medical clientele, are unfortunately falling by the wayside. And this is where I think we're going to see a big debate over the next year or two is when to get rid of, of the medical system because 
It's the Canadian Medical Association, who have not been, you know, friends of the, they're a very conservative organization, and they've not been the friends of medicinal marijuana because there's not a lot of medical evidence, you know, robust studies yet because it's been an illicit substance. So they're uncomfortable prescribing it, and fair enough, the doctors don't want to be stuck in the middle. Stop putting doctors in the middle of access to this product. If you are allowing people to sell alcohol, um, in government liquor stores, you should be, and you're going to legalize cannabis, just legalize cannabis. Don't keep these two systems where one has stronger or more options of products than the other. If they're Health Canada approved, get them into stores because people need them, especially the medicinal um, clients. We have a lot of elderly clients. They're not sophisticated on the internet. They don't know how to send an e-transfer. They don't know how to order online. Those folks were terrified when we were shutting. But again, that's why we did a really robust push of in informing everyone months ahead of time when we were going to close and that you need to consider this so that you're not out of stock, find yourself out of stock. But we're still, I'm still getting phone calls from former clients uh, who uh, uh, are, are stuck. And many of them are older folks, and, and I can't help them because I'm no longer in the business of working with something that is not Health Canada approved. I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. So I try to point them in the right direction. But a lot of them, you know, they can't drive. We're in wintertime. They can't get uh, to Nelson. So it's, it's going to be a tough go, and not everybody's going to be well served for a little while. But I expect by the new year, hopefully into February, March, when the production really ramps up, that uh, we'll start seeing things ease, ease down. But I mean, people have to re remember that this is a momentous change and no one's done it before. It's not like, you know, you can, I mean, you know, you got a few states that have done it, but not across the country. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you've not, not uh, on the scale whatsoever. I mean, the state of California might be close because they have a greater population than all of Canada, but it's the state of California. And you don't have so many different constituencies there like you do in a nation. You don't have different provincial borders and regulations that you have to consider. It's much more complicated what we're doing in Canada. It wasn't long ago that you couldn't take beer across the like you could, no. you know, take you the across the border. You still can't cross provincial lines. There was a guy in New Brunswick that got nailed buying beer in Quebec because it was cheaper, and everyone's been doing that forever. And he got nailed by the police and fined hundreds of dollars or something like that. Like there's still provincial boundaries that we are supposed to respect um, because you know we've got different taxation in province to province. So you're not supposed to smuggle, as they call it, liquor uh, across them. And with cannabis, uh, probably the same uh, situation exists there. But you've got very different systems. You have very different experiences, province to province to province. And the group that we have joined um, um, is a group out of Saskatchewan. We have four stores in Saskatchewan, and I am going to be the regional manager and head of the Kootenai strategy. So I'm basically the owner of four stores now in Kootenays. So it's you know you can look at it as sort of a franchising agreement. Um, but we're still you know once the once the options become available to buy local, we will still be focusing on purchasing product that is grown in the area. The problem right now is there's no licensed producers in the Kootenai region outside of WeGrow out in uh, Creston. Um, and so we need these growers to get on board. And so there's a couple of craft collectives that are, well, we can talk about that later, but there's a couple of craft collectives that are trying to get organized in Nelson. Um, there's a gentleman in Nelson, uh, they're getting financed out of Vancouver. And there's another group on the island where they're trying to uh, purchase micro-grow licenses um, or 
you know, apply for microgrow licenses and then lease or rent out space within the microgrows um, in order to um, allow people to grow legally. But those microgrows still need to have a relationship with a licensed producer and sell their product through a licensed producer. So you're going to see, uh, I think, quite a divide in the, you know, for lack of a better word, the black or the gray market of growers. A lot of those MMAR growers that we used to supply us, we were very proud to carry their product. It was small batch, it was craft produced, but it wasn't tested. We would test it ourselves, but there's no testing regime for that sort of stuff. We didn't have any problems, but we don't, you know, you can't guarantee that uh, everything is tested, you know, to the same uh, standards that they are under the Health Canada approach. And so that's where I think the black and gray market needs to understand that there's a reason why they need to be brought into the legal regime. You can't just sell a product like that where people are using growth hormones, or not growth hormones, but like, uh, you know, growth... Um, spray, chemicals. Spray, they could be spraying stuff with whatever. Yeah, and you don't know what people are spraying. They might tell you something, but I mean, people were lying to me left, right, and center. And that's where you had to start establishing... Uh, a good relationships with people, but it came down to me to establish those relationships, and it's just good that I cared, uh, because a lot of dispensaries don't care. And you can, like the gangster weed that you see being—I shouldn't call it that—but the 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 I'll the, call it that. The gangster weed you see being sold in a lot of dispensaries in Vancouver, for instance. I mean, you don't know where that's coming from. You don't know what people have done with it. There's some good. There's some bad. Um, and it, it matters. The, and, and and the good news is, is around here. A lot of people care very deeply about the product they're producing, and but again, it's up to the onus is on me to make sure that that's happening, and it's it's impossible to because you know with the secrecy around it to visit every facility you want to visit and be ensured that they're doing what they say they're doing because there's no one checking on them. So they need to be brought into the system, and they should have been brought in earlier because if you want to do something with the black market, if you want to do something about these small communities where people are not going to be able to make a living at this, people are putting up food on the table, growing marijuana in, these, in our communities right now, um, they need uh, an avenue to, uh, to, to make a living at this. Now, it's going to be harder, which I think is also great, because the cream's going to rise to the top. And if you can't grow good product, you're gone. And what's wrong with that? Uh, the, like, who's not well served with that? I mean, if you were selling garbage for the longest time and people were smoking your garbage on the streets of Canada for, for years, um, do you deserve to be part of the legal regime? No. If you're a high-end grower and you had stuff that you know, could go into dispensaries and you know, belonged in dispensaries, belongs in the, in the new regime, you're going to have no problem getting it. It's just unfortunate that they did not preferentially treat those people well enough at the beginning. But I think part of that is it's an extraordinarily large undertaking to try and bring all of these people, all these talented people out of the black market into the, 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 the uh, well, the real market. <laughs> and um, I think there's a lot of people that don't read the news <laughs> in that community that maybe don't aren't interested in coming out of the shadows because it doesn't benefit them financially um, just yet. And so, but they can't blame us or people like myself for wanting to do things legally. And I would be honored to still carry their products if they would just get into the new legal regime. But there's the main... Um, the main impediment to that as well is financing. Like the, it is extraordinarily expensive to get a licensed producer license. So the microgrow license. How much does that cost? Uh, you need a couple million dollars to get started. I mean, you need 
these facilities cost a ton of money to make, but there's huge security apparatus, uh, uh, lawyers, yeah. architects. Like you're in a million bucks before you even start building your building. It's pretty wild. Um, the microgrill licenses are not very micro. They're still large facilities, hundred light facilities. Um, you know, most of the guys we were buying off had twenty to fifty light facilities, sort of thing, and they were pretty big facilities. So they're still massive, and not everybody has that kind of cash. So um, these smaller growers do deserve an opportunity to get into this market, um, but the only way to do that right now seems to be through a larger organization buying a microgrow licenses a microgrow license, building a facility, and then leasing those spaces to smaller growers, and that's how you're going to get the small batch grower uh, to come into the legal regime. You're going to see, uh, uh, you know, and if people want craft produced product that's going to cost more because just like craft beer costs a little bit more, um, then I just say give the consumer options. And that's all I'm about is I want the consumer to have options. I want to have that opportunity yeah. to buy local right. um, and I want the consumer to have opportunities to buy the budget Walmart weed um, or the, the top of the line stuff. I just want everyone to have an opportunity. It's just taking a little bit of time. Uh, and that's, I think, frustrating for everybody. Um, and, but definitely on the producer side, I could see uh, why some people would, would feel like their, their interests have not been at the forefront of the concerns of government. But I think they also need to appreciate not only how difficult it is, but how many stakeholders are involved here. And, uh, and the, the licensed producers have been following the rules for a long time. Right. And uh, you can't just uh, you know, all of a sudden show up and expect them to say, hey, well, yeah, yeah, you can come in and start growing. It's just not how it, how it works. And it took a while in Washington, state of Washington. It took a while in California. It took a while in uh, Colorado. And do we, are those, is the black market gone? No. There's still black market growers all over Colorado because the adjacent states are not legal. So there's lots of opportunity for people to grow there. But is it less? Yes. Is the government getting tax revenue from it? Absolutely. Has the quality and the safety skyrocketed? Of course. And so that's all I care about. For me, it's about supply chain management and making sure that people have safe, consistent product to smoke and that they have an option to buy something local or something craft and some or something cheaper, something, you know, Walmart kind of thing. And those options are going to be available. It's just not right away. Well, I don't agree with you. No? I don't agree that there should ever be a poor quality of anything, any kind of product. Okay. I only think if you don't make good stuff, I think that you shouldn't bother. But I understand your point. Well, I think, and I, I, I wouldn't say that it's bad. I'd say it's, uh, it's, it's going to be grown under different circumstances. At least it's consistently mediocre. Yeah. I mean, okay. it'll be probably be lower THC. It might not, uh, the flavor might not be there, but it'll be safe. Like, it won't be moldy. Like, when we talk about quality, uh, but, you know, you're going to pay a price for that. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't think that people that Rainier Beer or, or, uh, or Old Milwaukee or, or PBR you know, shouldn't have the right to create shitty beer, shitty, cheaper beer. Um, they, they can do what they want. And I think with weed, it's gotta be the same thing. Cause you still need to be, you know, we had, we had cheaper product available. Uh, you pay, get what you pay for it in the dispensary because we have lots of people that are on budgets. Um, and so I wanted to make something available to them. What I don't want to see is that just because somebody has to pay less or, you know, for something that it's not uh, less safe. 
And that's something you couldn't guarantee before. And now, at least we're going to be able to guarantee that. And that, I think, is more important. I only believe in quality networking hardware. Great. Yes, you do. That's right. You do. Yes. You but, know uh, that. But yes. there you go. Um, so tell me more about these four stores. Yeah. So, so what we've done is uh, there's a, a company, a, a group out of Saskatchewan that approached me uh, a, a year, year and a bit ago. And originally we were talking about working in Saskatchewan together. Um, and then uh, that morphed into a new relationship where um, I'm able to stay in the Kootenays and they're interested in opening in uh, Cranbrook, in Creston, uh, in Rossland, and then hopefully in uh, Castlegar or Trail. Um, and my whole plan has been to join, you know, to be the first, you know, mini chain uh, uh, that is only in uh, the East and West Kootenays. They're also looking at four stores in Vancouver Island because you can only have eight stores and only one, one company can only have eight stores in all of BC. Under one brand. Yes. And so we, uh, we're going to do four more on the island, but it's, uh, there is this, and you're aware of this, and a lot of people are aware of this, but there's a very intense gold rush element to this. And if you were not looking for spaces six months ago, you're not going to find anything now. Uh, leases have been signed, especially on Vancouver Island. It is a dog's breakfast trying to find locations. So where we are, it's slightly smaller jurisdictions, and because I live here, uh, I know how the city councils work. I have a better sense of the, 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 the appetite in those communities for dispensaries. And so uh, I've, you know, there's been a lot of relationship building with potential landlords. It's not just like any other business where you show up and you say, hey, I want to lease your space. And they say, hey, great, you're going to give me money and uh, <laughs> you're going to open a business in there. And that's awesome. Thank you. No. Oh, you want to open what? But oh. those businesses, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, no, but no. those businesses have generally a distribution network. So if yeah. I want to open up a ski store, it's yeah. snowing today, yeah. right? I can contact these dis distributors that are all, all through Canada and the United States and then have full product lines delivered in, let's say, in a few months or mm. whichever. And yeah. that's the problem that you don't, that you're, well, you're that's, coming up with. And that's, then that's honestly, like, that's our, that's our problem now. And, I, and, and the problem before was, you know, they, want, they look at you like, you want to do what? Mm -hmm. um, you want to open a cannabis dispensary? Because the image has always been of the, you know, the stoned, kid on TV who's being raided by the police. Like if you're in a community like Creston or Cranbrook that have not had dispensaries, most people don't have a very positive impression of what a dispensary looked like. And they also think that you might be uh, potentially involved with some kind of organized crime. Like they, they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so it's up to us. The onus was, is on us, I believe, very firmly to convince them and not just persuade and convince, but that we have to do that. We owe it to them. We owe it to Canadian society to do that extra legwork to show them that this is not only a product that your grandmother might use or, you know, that everybody, every demographic in Canada uses. We are the highest user base in the world by far in Canada, but that there's nothing wrong with them using it <laughs> and that there's nothing wrong with the types of clientele that are going to come in. And because it was an illicit market before, you also need to show them, well, What's your background? What kind of people are you? Who are we going to be dealing with? And so we, you know, we learned very quickly that we had to come up with sort of a, 
uh, sort of show them a bit more of our cards than you would have to show a regular landlord like uh, a business plan. You need to show them your long-term uh, goals for the brand. You need to show them um, who you guys are, who your background is, who your investors are. Nothing that you would ever have to do with any other landlord. But True. again, I feel very strongly that that's information that we owe to people because again, we have to understand and admit that it is an unknown entity and there's a negative, you know, we've got 80, 90, 100 years of propaganda. Uncharted. Uncharted. And so we need, like if they're concerned, we need to come uh, to the table with them in such a way that, that we appreciate and are validating their concerns. And so that has worked for us. Uh, we've, we've now have two leases. Uh, we're, we're taking over the Cran old uh, Greyhound station in Cranbrook. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we're taking we're moving into the Creston Valley Mall in Creston, and then we are also uh, uh, here in the shop that we're sitting in right now in Rossland uh, will probably be our first store to open when we get a chance to open, and then we're looking at another location in Casco uh, Trail where we're running into issues where a lot of the good locations are already taken. Uh, I have a great location that I'd love to work with, but the landlord again some tenants uh, there. You know, they've kind of had a blanket ban uh, on dispensaries. They, they've, they've said they don't want dispensaries because, again, I feel they, that the tenants don't quite understand what a dispensary is going to look like um, because Castigar still hasn't had any. So there's not a lot of positive uh, um, viewpoints uh, that people or you know, images that people necessarily have of dispensaries in Castigar unless they've been into them. Um, and I think in Rossland, for instance, the Rosslanders that, you know, even if they came into the dispensary or not, at least they know that it was there and it didn't affect their, their town one iota. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when we opened, we were told that there's going to be people smoking reefer on the corners and we had, you know, a couple neighbors were quite upset that we had opened and, uh, and that, you know, the town was going to change. And they were like, I couldn't believe some of the, uh, uh, awful, um, doomsday scenarios, you know, uh, that, that were being thrown at me. Uh, and what we did is just put our head down, led by example, talked to all of our neighbors, introduced ourselves. I made a point of going around and introduced myself to every business in town, uh, just saying this is who I am because you know that in small towns people talk, but it's also important for them to have an impression of you, to know that you're just like them. And all you're trying to do is make a living and, uh, and that you're going to take any social and environmental concerns, uh, to heart. So if I was a, a, land, a tenant in, in the space in Casper that I want, for instance, um, I'd be worried about, are people going to come out of the store and be smoking joints in, the, in their car in the parking lot? Are, you know, are, are teenagers going to be hanging out in front of the store? Like, I mean, I can see how, where people's minds go. And uh, all I say to that is, does that happen with a liquor store? Do you have problems with people sitting in their cars drinking booze? Uh, no, because it's illegal. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not going to be any different then now it's not any different and it wasn't before legalization it's not any worse more now uh and and the police are stepping up enforcement on that there's road checks uh, uh outside of nelson on a regular basis right now off on tagum there's been check stops and they're just checking for people smoking weed in their cars so they just pull you over and take a whiff they just pull you over it's just like those you know every time they do a a big push for their um, for uh, drinking and driving, right? And you'll find these police checkpoints. You'll be tearing along, and they'll just flag you down. And it's just a stick your head in the car kind How of check. How are you? How are you doing? How like, you? and you don't have to blow it. It's not like a real check stop or yeah. like handing up breathalyzers. They're just hey, just checking in. Do you have your license and registration? And the purpose of that is to check whether they can smell some probable cause mm -hmm. to actually pull you over and arrest you. 
So that's the, uh, that's, and, you know, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with, with, with enforcing. You should not be smoking and driving. You shouldn't be drinking and driving. You should not be taking opiates and driving. There's lots of things that Some people shouldn't be driving, but... Some people shouldn't be driving. So, again, because this is new, it's, there's a lot of things being attributed to it that actually we already live with, with alcohol and, 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 and painkillers and other stuff, where it's going to have some negative consequences for people operating machinery, for instance, uh, at, at their workplace or whatever. And so these are things that, but just don't worry about it. It's going to work itself out. It, it's not like, yes, the rates in Colorado went up of people driving while smoking marijuana when they first legalized. Mm -hmm. Of course it did. It, but is it this epidemic where people are getting run over left, right, and center? Obviously not. And alcohol is a thousand times worse and always will be because it's ubiquitous with the culture and, and lots of generations of people think they can have more than they are allowed to have and then drive their vehicle. So alcohol is a thousand times more of a problem than ganja will ever be. But the onus is on us to show people that that's not something that's necessarily going to be a concern. It's not, it's not something that you should, should not be concerned about. We need to do something about it and we need to keep that in mind. But this, the, the fear mongering uh, is, is what is, is difficult for me to, to, to swallow sometimes. But I'm, I'm keenly aware of, of, again, the fact that it's uncharted territory and our job is to show, is to lead by example. Right. And so that's where we're at. So we've got these four stores, or three stores, hopefully four, and um, we're going to be calling it now on the radio. And when you, when you first hear it, um, it's, it's a bit of a departure from what people are used to. So once people see the name rendered or they see images of it, and I'll, and I'll mention a few of our websites where you can see images of it, but it's called Jimmy's Cannabis Shop. Now it sounds like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy John's sandwiches or something like that. And, um, but what you, why, why we've gone with a name like that is because you, in this market, you want every demographic to feel welcome. If you've got something called Urban Legends or Sativa, so it, it, it doesn't appeal to that wider demographic. Because the thing is, people are going to come into a cannabis shop regardless. If they're a user already, they're going to come in. The people you need to reach are the people that are not using it, that could benefit from it, or that might want to check it out. And they might not be comfortable or feel represented in a place that had a more... Uh, uh, cannabis sounding name. So Roslyn Dispensary is now Jimmy John's. Yeah, no, not Jimmy John's. So Jimmy John's is that. You're not Jimmy John. No, so we're Jimmy's. It's just going to be called Jimmy's Cannabis Shop. Okay. Kootenays. And so we're going to have a sticker up in front here. And uh, I would encourage anyone listening to this to check out jimmyscannabis.com. You can see our, because um, we're going to have, uh, it's like white walls, reclaimed barnwood. Uh, it's kind of like a, a heritage themed you know, if you took an Apple store and like an antique shop and they had a or an antique pharmacy and they had a baby, you'd get Jimmy's because a lot of bigger chains are going for the Apple store, which we didn't want to be quite Apple store. We want it to be accessible to everyone. So is it Jimmy like Jimmy Page or Jimmy like Jimi Hendrix? Uh, Jimmy like Jimmy Page. Okay, so J-I-M-M-Y. Yes, J-I-M-M-Y apostrophe S, um, uh, cannabis shop. 
And then, uh, um, but we, there's a couple good articles you can see online about uh, the young guys that have opened their shops in, in Saskatchewan and uh, some good interviews with them and just good images of what the store looks like. So you usually have kind of a divider when you first walk in. You're not allowed to see inside cannabis shops, so you have to have frosted glass in the window. Mm -hmm. And when people walk in, there's a bit of a, a block, so you can't, even when the door opens, you can't see into the shop. And then you walk in, and then you've got the reclaimed barnwood, the uh, nice heritage theme uh, uh, display cases, and, uh, and the best customer service that you're going to get anywhere. Because right. if there's one lost opportunity in the cannabis space, it is the lack of not so much knowledge, but in interest and um, vivaciousness in... Uh, in product knowledge and well, product knowledge right and intelligence, but just in the overall sentiment that people receive when they come in. Like, I want it to be like when you walk into Mount Quimmet Co-op, okay? And people are greeting you. They're not greeting you and harassing. They're greeting you and they're saying, hey, how you doing? You are acknowledged. You are made to feel yeah. comfortable. Not like you're going to some exclusive record shop or something like Zulu Records in Vancouver where you know, everyone hates to go in and ask for a CD because they don't want to be judged by the, <laughs> by the, by the employee for their lack of knowledge or lack of listening to good music. Like the people here are here to help, to serve and to make everyone feel comfortable. And that's one thing I learned in my dispensary and why Jimmy's and myself are, are a great fit mm -hmm. is because we both are of the exact same opinion that you need to make everyone feel welcome. And there is nobody, nobody, I don't care what demographic, uh, that I want to not feel 110% comfortable in in our store, and so that's where you have a bit more of a, a you know bit less of a, a cannabis culture name like a Jimmy's Cannabis Shop because again, what is Jimmy? What's the story behind you? who's Jimmy? And Jimmy's not a person; it's just something that uh, everybody knows of Jimmy. Mm -hmm. And again, it's uh, it, it'll it'll grow on people. Uh, like I said, uh, not everyone drinks the Kool Aid on it right away because it's such a departure from. You know, uh, a lot of the names that we've seen in the past where, you know, you got green in there, you have cannabis in the name, you got collective in the name and um, or you got fire or smoke in the name. Um, so it's it is just different. So we have cannabis in the name, but it's uh, uh, the it's not the uh, you know, we have a stylized cannabis leaf uh, uh, on the logo, but it's not the forefront of it. We mm -hmm. again, we just want it to be clean and approachable. I agree with you on the customer service. That's the number one thing. If you can't help your customers, again, you're out. Like, what's the sense? Mm -hmm. But I do think that that frosted glass and those partitions, I think that's something that may be at the start, but probably will oh. fade away, right? So it's, you know, it's not the best at the start. You know, no one, it's weird for a customer to walk in any place like that. Yeah, that'll probably go away. Yeah, the sentiment from the government is that they don't want youth or minors to be able to see inside the shop right which is you know fair enough at the beginning but it's interesting because the city of nelson uh when they licensed their cannabis shops they actually required that they remove the frosty glass because a lot of people there's a lot of social censure that comes with uh, dispensaries right for for some people if you work at tech for instance or uh you know where they do drug testing and your manager sees you walking into a cannabis shop next time you know somebody drops a, a tool from, uh, from scaffolding and they, then they know they saw you going into a cannabis shop, they might force you to get drug testing. And uh, meanwhile, you smoked a joint you know, eight, eight days ago, perfectly legal, but it's still in your system, so they can't prove that you're not, and mm -hmm. that might lose his job. So there's a lot of concern around that. So the frosted glass 
at least protects people's privacy, but you're still, you don't have to walk in and out. Right. Um, so that's a little bit tricky where our, our, our Cranbrook location is going to have three entrances. So people can, if they want, want a little more privacy, they'll come in the, the one side. But I think honestly, like you said, I think those were, so they actually had that frosted glass removed because they didn't want anyone not understanding what was going on in there. They thought, you know, it, it, it made it too secretive. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, down the road we'll be able to remove that, which I think will be a really welcome uh, uh, thing because then you can actually show off the interior of your shop. Yeah. Uh, and also it just um, breaks down the stereotypes some more. Because I mean, the liquor store, you can bring your kids in there and, uh, you know, kids grow up being, having liquor completely normalized in their lives. And I'm not suggesting cannabis needs to do that uh, at all, but I'm saying that, you know, we've got something that is far more harmful to society, has far more social uh, and environmental impacts, uh, causes far more uh, uh, domestic violence, for instance, um, and yet is completely normalized. So cannabis, while I am fully supportive of us gradually, you know, increasing access, uh, the cannabis, I think the rules as they're set out are a little too restrictive right now. But again, I'm you're, you know I've I'm someone that's been in the industry for a while, so I can appreciate how we need to go slowly, and we don't want to just force it down anyone's throat right away and just say, hey, bam, it's here, and you need to put up with it. You should be allowing people smoking joints in the corner and all sort of stuff. Like fair, totally fair. But I really I'm very hopeful that that will change uh, down the road. Right on, Jeff. Thanks a lot. You're definitely leading by example. It's awesome to know you. Great. I'm really you. pumped about this business of yours. And I think, like I said, you're doing it the right way. Appreciate right on, that. Hey, thank you very much. Right on, dude. Thanks again. Hey, good to see you.
It's no good